1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And remember, this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, comes right in the middle of a section in Corinthians about spiritual gifts. So it's not classically a wedding text about love, right? It's classically how do you operate in the church with spiritual gifts. So Paul goes on to talk about that. Verse 8 there, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known so now faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love so today here's what we're going to be looking at we're going to be looking at who you are and what you do and here's my first point this morning which i think comes really naturally out of the text here if you look at verse one to three there you can see that a disconnect between who you are and what you do is a problem you see that 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 3. If you get disconnected, if, if who you are, who you are as a person and your character is disconnected from the things that you do, the service that you do, that's a significant problem. Now, this happens all over the place in our culture, doesn't it? People regularly disconnect character from talent, don't they? That's what they do. And, and we're kind of taught that that's that's what you're meant to do. You're meant to disconnect character from talent. I mean, look at the big debate at the moment about Serena Williams. Yeah, she's a great tennis player, the greatest tennis player of all time. And yet this, there's this debate about how she spoke to the chair umpire, arguably the greatest female tennis player of all time. I mean, go back in Australian culture. Who's a classic example of this in Australian culture? Well, it's, it's Shane Warne, isn't it? Amazing, amazing spin bowler for the Australian cricket team. But character issues all over the joint. And it's like, shh, we just don't talk about those. We don't talk about the character issues. We just, he's good and he can do what he can do. And we just want him to keep doing what he can do. And, and it's like, we don't need to have character and what you do connected. We can keep it private. Let your private life stay private. And we don't even have to go into politicians, right? Do we? I mean, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, they're running the country well. It doesn't matter what they're like in private. Just let them operate and do the stuff that they do. I think, um, and I don't mean to be partisan in any way in this, but I, think, I just think it's classic how politicians can do bad things 
And then they just get demoted for a little bit until everyone forgets about it, and then you bring him back. And I'm waiting for Sam Dastiari to actually come back because he did a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't cool. And what have they done? They've demoted him. They've taken him out of the limelight. They've put him in the cupboard, so to speak, and they'll probably, I think, bring him out because that's what politics, that's what happens in politics. Uh, Bill Clinton. (laughs) Bill Clinton's another one, right? I mean, you had this debate with Barnaby Joyce recently, didn't you? Now, I don't want to get into the details of each of these things, right? But the question I really want to raise first up today, and I think Paul answers it, um, is, is it right for there to be a disconnect between someone's abilities and their character? And I want to say to you, in God's plans and his purposes, it's never right. Character and who you are is never meant to be disconnected from what you do. And when it does get disconnected from what you do, it turns into a monster. Even though it looks good and we can kind of, we can glean some good things from it, this is how it's actually meant to be. That who you are, your character, leads into what you do, your activity. Now, what's the most frequently written word in 1 Corinthians 13? This is a really easy one. Which one is it? Love, all right? Now, when you think about it, where does the word love actually show up? Well, the word love shows up in other parts of Scripture in this list, in Galatians 5. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now you can go on, you can read the rest. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You go through the description of what love is, there's a lot of those, the fruit of the Spirit, that kind of shows up in the description of love. The gifts are an add-on to your character. You see that? They're an add-on to your character. And I think that God's style is to look to the people who are fruitful to give the gifts to to serve him. Does that make sense? I think he gives to the people who are fruitful in their lives that are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit and he gives more gifts to those people. That's what I think he does. I mean, you can see that, um, that, that way of kind of doing things of God's in the way that he talks about money. You know, in Luke 16, Jesus says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. I mean, God's looking to people who are good with their little bit of money that they've got, and he'll give them more. That's the implication. And I think it works a bit like that when it comes to spiritual gifts. It's like, you be fruitful. Don't always be looking to be busy doing things and be busy in, in a showy kind of way. You be fruitful in who you are and I'll bless you and I'll give you some things to do. I think as another way of saying the previous uh, slide there with that flow chart is I think the way that God intends it is that personal fruitfulness fuels public service. Okay, I think that's the way it's meant to be. You're meant to be being really, really fruitful within yourself. You know, it's your fruitfulness that leads to good works. Now listen, think about it for a minute. 
What happens when someone's fruitfulness and their service get disconnected? Well, you get hypocrisy, don't you? True? You probably get judgmentalism. You get legalism. When people's public service and their character disconnect, you know, you probably heard the saying, you know, people say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to join the church because there's so many hypocrites in it. Have you heard that one? You know, in one sense it's true, but it's only true when the church puts on a different facade to how they actually are. A, a hypocrite is someone who's acting differently to who they are. So if someone's saying, I'm a mess, and they are a mess, and they're being open about that, and they're trying to walk with Jesus in the middle of that, that's not hypocrisy. Just means that the church is filled with people who sin. Is that true? Yeah. See, I think that's what we've got in 1 Corinthians 13. We've got the church appearing different to what they actually are on the inside. They're out there doing all these fancy things for Jesus and they're not loving people. <laughs> they're not being humble and they're not being gentle and they're not being kind. They're not exhibiting fruitfulness. I, uh, I read this article that kind of helped crystallise a bunch of things in my head this week by Tim Keller where he talked about um, ministry is harmful for your spiritual health. <laughs> He's talking about pastors in churches. And, and, he, and, he, and he talked about this whole thing that God calls you to do things and you're not always in the sweetest spot to actually do it. I mean, I've, I've, uh, this is the metaphor that I've often used in my life, is the further you go up in leadership in a Christian organisation, and particularly in a church, the smaller the back door is to get out if you're not doing very well. And you just need to know, I have weeks that are not very good weeks. I have days that are not very good days. I have times on Sundays where I come to church and I feel terrible sometimes. And it's a struggle for me, and I, I find it very difficult sometimes to connect with God even as I preach. And, and when, you're, when you're in an organisation, if you get this whole thing about the doors get smaller, I, I'm not sure there's a door big enough necessarily for me and my role to get out. Now, I get lots of support from people around the place and I'm very open with people about things. I'm open with the elders. I've got people outside that kind of coach me and help me and, and, and kind of pastor me a bit. What am I saying? I'm just saying I'm like you. You wouldn't be 100% good either in this role. And I'm not saying that to have a go. It's just a human reality that there's actually times where you're just not in your sweet spot. Now, that's a reality. There's, there's a scripture that actually speaks to this. And it's this one here in uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 to 2. As Paul talking to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and the kingdom and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready when? In season and out of season. Okay? Have you ever been out of season? And God's called you to do something. So what do you do? Do you just say, oh, I can't do it, I'm sorry, I'm out of season. I'm a summer fruiting plant and it's winter time, I'm sorry. You can't do it, right? Because God does. He brings stuff to you regularly to do. And it's like, well, you just caught me out of season. So what do you do? Well, it's just another opportunity for you to radically trust in Jesus to serve him in the place that you've called him, that he's called you to. Amen? That's what it is. But, but, and there's a big but, and I hesitate to say that because that brings up images for some of you, but 
There's a, it does now, anyway. Um, here's the but. I've wrecked it there, haven't I? <laughs> Hear this. It is never, ever normal to minister out of season, to serve God out of season. As soon as serving God out of season becomes normal, you've got a massive problem. You with me? It's a massive problem. You need, you need to realise that normal service to Jesus in everything that you do in your life is being in season and being connected to him and being in the zone with him. Amen? So I'm not saying, like some of you might go, you know, it's, it's not an excuse not to serve in the church. I mean, people use a lot of excuses not to do things in the church. The issue most of the time is people just need to get their heart in line. Okay, you don't, you don't just say, I can't serve because, I'm, you know, I'm out of season. It's like, no, well, maybe what you need to do is serve and get yourself in season. And the question then becomes, how do you get yourself in season if you're out of season? That's, that's the question, and we'll get to that a little bit later on. Bottom line is, folks, if you're out of season right now, what do you need to do? Well, you need to press in really hard to get in season. Not stop serving. Get in season. Now, let me ask you a question at this point. Where are you at? Are you in season? Where are you at? Is your fruitfulness and service connected? Where can you see your fruitfulness or your character disconnecting from the things that you do? Because that's trouble. That's trouble coming. And some of you go, well, I'm not in your role, Peter, in a church. I'm just going, okay, well, tell me the things that God's called you to do wherever you are. And tell me how your character and your public acts of service are actually connected. And tell me where they're disconnecting and the places where they're disconnecting are the danger spots. Like if I could just stick a bunch of flashing lights and warning sirens right on that bit where your character and your service are disconnecting, I would do that. Now, we just did the Ed Welsh events, right? And um, when you run events like that and you go all over the country, you're just doing stuff all the time. And the thing that gets me a little bit scary so a little bit scared sometimes when I do things like that, is it's such a continuous process of contributing and giving out to people and it's like your own filling up your tank in your relationship with God is a real challenge because it's such an outflow that's actually coming out. Um, and you just, I, I mean, I've, I feel like when I do those things, I just, I just, I'm trying to top it up as much as I can, but I think the trend over a week like that is my topping up doesn't match what's going out. And so it just gets lower and lower and lower. And it's just the reality. And that's what I got to the end of the week and I just thought, you know, I just, I'm really looking forward to just sitting down with Jesus and not having to do anything. Not having, and it sounds terrible because I love praying for people. I love blessing people. I just, but I just want to hang out with Jesus and I just want to get topped up here. Because I just know, and I, I said to my wife actually when I, get, I got home, you know what? I said, it's really good to get home and have kids who are sinners and to have things that you just got to do at home because it's such a bubble when you go away and do something like that and coming home makes you get grounded again 
And it's like, this is good. It's good to be grounded. I need to make sure I'm connected well to Jesus. I need to make sure that the bucket is filled up with Jesus. Is it, do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you going, this guy should not be our senior pastor. But anyway, we can talk about that later. What's the big idea? Whenever character gets disconnected from service, you've got trouble coming. And you can withstand some of that happening for a short period of time, but you just better put some warning lights and sirens on that and make sure that you address that. That's what you need to do. A reflective question from this section, how are you going with that? How are you going with that? Second thing, verse 8 to 13, have a look at it there uh, in the Scriptures, just ducking straight across to the end there of 1 Corinthians 1, 13. Now, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What's Paul saying here? Well, what he's saying is that basically what's going to happen one day is a whole bunch of these fancy gifts are just going to be redundant. Like you're just not going to need them anymore. Like why would you need prophecy if you see Jesus face to face? Why do you need tongues to speak to Jesus if you're actually literally going to be in his presence and see him face to face? You're just not going to need these things anymore. You know, so it's a little bit crazy. Like if you spent all your time in the church building up your identity and your status based on these tricky things that you could do, and then they become redundant and they don't, they're not used anymore, that would be a dumb investment. Are you with me? Like just don't invest in that. And I think that's part of what Paul's saying here. It's like, if, if there's an either or here, and I think there's not meant to be an either or. I think it's a false dichotomy. It's not like either character or gifts. It's actually meant to be character and gifts. But I think what Paul's saying is, if you're going to pick one, pick love. Like, don't excel in prophecy. Don't excel in teaching. If it's either or for you, pick love and excel in love. Don't excel in something that won't be needed one day. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a crack at a metaphor here. And uh, it's a risky one. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll just see how we go. And some of you will... Some of you are going, yeah, that is, that is risky. In fact, I think I need to get a drink and take my car keys with me. I, I have played a lot of computer games in my life. Okay, and I've actually worked. Uh, I was a dean of students in the school here for a while, dean of boys uh, as well, uh, with with high school boys that played lots and lots of computer games. Okay, now I want you to hear me on this. I used to ask the boys this question: Who are you when the power goes out? And the reason why I asked that question is because they were this hero online they were this hero in this computer game and computer games have that way of doing it it has a way of doing that to you right but you, you can like be a hero on a computer game and be a nothing in real life you can take all these risks on a computer game and when it comes to real life you're not really taking many risks you're not really growing and developing in your character and the power going out in a sense reveals who you are now I'm not saying that it's sinful to play computer games. But I am saying that I think there's a little bit of a parallel between playing computer games and what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. And here's the parallel. 
don't spend all your time investing in something that has no lasting benefit. You hear that? Don't spend all your time, if, if it comes down to either or, don't spend all your time investing in prophecy and tongues when love is the thing that lasts. Don't spend all your time playing computer games and not growing in love. That would be dumb, right? Because, I mean, and, and don't, I've played lots of computer games. I remember, is anyone here, this is going to show my age, do you remember Age of Empires? Does anyone remember that? I started playing that, I went to church and I just, I'd look across the hall at church and I'd go, I just need to right click on that guy, then a blue square is going to come up and I'm going to move him over here. <laughs> like I did, literally I did. I went to church one night and I just thought, yeah, that's how, this, that's how the world works. But it doesn't. You know, you can become a pixel warrior, right? A pixel warrior. And then the power goes out and it's gone. You spend all this time refining your skill on something and nowhere near as much time working on something that's real. Because at the end of the day, computer games are entertainment. They actually don't do anything for you. Now, you can argue it, right? You get to have community on a computer game because you can talk. You can, put, you can throw those arguments in. I think they're all rubbish, all right? It's entertainment. That's what it is. It's just entertainment. Because they don't grow your character. Has anyone noticed that? And anyone who actually tries to form, formulate some kind of argument about how Fortnite is growing someone's character, I just think it's a, it's a long stretch. I mean, the only real risk that you have playing computer games is taking the risk on how long you're going to sit before you go to the toilet. <laughs> That's a thing, right? Some people wear nappies when they play computer games so they don't have to leave their computer. Now, I'm not saying this to beat up on the people who play computer games. I'm just saying we do well, right, to grow as people. We do well to grow in our love for other people, in our love for God. We do well to do things that actually grow something in us that's going to last forever. Amen? So you could insert anything in there probably instead of computer games because we can all, it's kind of like, what's your poison? You could be obsessive about anything. It just turns out that computer games are pretty easy to be obsessive about because of the way they're designed. But other things, you can get pretty obsessive about other things as well. So when you don't have that thing anymore, who are you? And I think this is the big idea that Paul's actually saying in 1 Corinthians 13 is like love. Go after love because you know what? It never ends. Ever. This is the ultimate Australian survivor. Isn't it? It's outwit, outlast. I mean, you can actually see it. You can see the longevity of love because when you listen to the radio, there's so many songs on the radio about love. And there's so many people that have been hurt by love and they keep going back. Like there's, love's just gonna, it's gonna keep going. It's gonna keep going. It never, ever ends. We keep singing about it even when we're so hurt and disappointed by it. And why, why does love never end? Because God is love. That's the center of everything. It's the center of the known, of everything that's physical, of anything that exists. The center of all of that is this God who is love. And that is just going to last forever. So what's Paul actually saying? He's saying, 
Invest in this. Invest in this. Become an outstandingly loving person because that is a good investment. It's going to last forever. I'll read this section with you from uh, 1 John 4, verse 7 to 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You do well to spend some time meditating on 1 John 4. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Beautiful, isn't it? It's like you've got a love problem, you've got a knowing God problem. That's what you've got. You just don't know God very well. So, point three. Are you a loving person? Are you? It'd be good for you to have 1 Corinthians 13 in front of you. Uh, we're just going to go back through verse 4 to 7. You know, you might be a legend, but are you a loving person? You know, do you curve outwards toward other people or are you good at loving yourself and that's about it? You know, verse 2 there in 1 Corinthians 13, you might know everything, you might be able to move mountains, give everything to the poor or even give your body to the flames and not be a very good person at loving others. You know, the best way for you to use the gifts that God gives you is by loving people. That's the best way to do it. And you can self-sacrifice and not love people. Isn't that a trippy thing? You could self-sacrifice and not love people. And you think about the, the diet regimes that we've got that are going on in our culture, and I'm not having a crack at them either, but I'm just saying people are, are quite religious in their discipline. I mean, we live in a weird culture. Like on one end, it's like laissez-faire, like you can do whatever you want. And on the other end, we've got this highly regimented kind of discipline that's actually going on in our culture. You can do all of that and not be loving. To anyone but yourself. <laughs> you look here in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul cashes out love in the positive and the negative. Let's start with the positive, eh? He says, love is patient. That's patient. Well, one commentator said, it's to bear up under provocation without complaint and it's forbearing. To be patient in suffering. Are you patient? Kind. Love is kind. This is actively compassionate, merciful toward other people. Love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, which actually means that I cover the faults of other people. You protect. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, hopes. Love never loses faith in God. It, it never exhausts hope in God. It never gives up. It endures all things. It never fails to endure. How are you going? See, no one in this room, including me, is qualified to preach this sermon today. No one is. If, if you have to be able to nail this to be standing up here and be preaching, no one qualifies. Well, look at the negative things that, um, that Paul compares love to. And I think what happens here is as you look at these negative things, you can get a bit of a hint as to what's actually happening in the church. 
Love does not envy. Do you ever have intense negative feelings over someone else's achievements or success? Do you ever feel that way? Like you're just jealous? Jealous envy? Love does not boast. You can't boast and love at the same time or anyone else. You can probably boast and love yourself at the same time. I mean, do you, do you boast and try to impress other people? Now, some of you probably think, and I think you're right, some of you probably think, well, you can't really do that in Australian culture very much. And I could do a whole piece on the tall poppy syndrome because I think probably one of the realities about the project as compared to Corinth here is we're probably a little bit less inclined to use gifts and try and get status out of it. We're probably more inclined to keep our heads down and not use gifts to love other people. Um, kind of keep it, keep it on the down low a little bit. It's a bit like that. Sometimes I think it's about... I noticed it in the school here when I was working as a teacher that there's, um, the junior high boys would rather come last than come fifth. Because it's more embarrassing to actually try and come fifth than it is to not try and come last. So you either compete to win if you think that you've got a chance or you don't actually compete. Like that actually happened quite a lot. And I think that's really sad, but I think that's actually at some level that's a reflection of the culture, Australian culture, especially Australian male culture. But you don't have to go too far on... Um, well, we might, may not boast in, in real life as much, but you don't have to go too far on social media to find boasting, right? I mean, that's, that's a place where it happens. Love is not arrogant. It's not rude. does not insist on its own way. See, love is not about finding yourself. It's like, I've just got to find myself. It's like, well, I'm pretty sure that Jesus wasn't thinking that much about that. <laughs> he, was, he was thinking about loving his father and doing what his father wanted and loving people. Love is not irritable or resentful. I mean, that word resentful in the Greek, which, which was the original language, has got a mathematical feel to it, right? It's kind of like someone's keeping account and keeping tabs on what's going on. That's the, the idea of resentfulness. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. How'd you go? Are you a loving person? Do you want some hope? Anyone? Anyone want hope? I'll have an auction. <laughs> Let me give you some hope. Because this is the question that you need to ask next. Is how do you become a more loving person? Good question, right? If you're not a very loving person, how do you actually become a more loving person? Do you do it by effort? The old uh, gag uh, when I um, grew up, which is like, where'd you get that? From a cornflakes packet, right? You're not getting it with a coupon. You're not going anywhere to get to become a more loving person by finding some kind of trick around it? Do you, do you try hard? Is it about trying harder fundamentally? And I think you do have to work hard sometimes to be loving to people. You know, people have said in the past, you've probably heard this one, that love is a choice. And I think that's true, but I don't think love is only a choice. Because I think the strange thing about the Scriptures is that God commands you to have particular affections. And love is one of those. Like if I, if I went home to my wife and I said, uh, you know what, honey, 
I'm going to do all these things tonight to show that I love you, but I actually don't really feel like I love you very much. <laughs> like seriously, do you think she'd be happy with that? And, and that just tells you, it's not that love is not a choice, but love is more than a choice. And it ought to be an affection as well. It ought to be a whole bunch of things. I mean, there's a text, and this might be a little disturbing to you, and I didn't throw it in today, but I'll just throw it in really quickly. There's a text in the Old Testament where God says that he's going to punish his people because they didn't serve him with a glad heart. So you can serve him, but if you don't do it happily, you kind of fail. And it's, it's a bit like that with love. You know, there are, there are actions that are about love, but there are affections that are part of love as well. So it kind of, kind of pushes us, right? It pushes us because it's like, well, how do I get that? Well, the good news is that God wants to help you with that. He doesn't, whenever God commands things, he gives you the resources to get it. Because he commands things pretty much all the time that you can't do on your own. And this is the good news. And you can actually see it in 1 Corinthians 13 there. If you look at, I think, verse 8 to 13, you start to get a bit of a sense of it, right? Um, that, and this is... Uh, a couple of commentators, uh, uh, Kai Amper, I think, and Rosner, I think is the way that you say the first guy's name. They said this, love is not the human duty, it is a human destiny. Now, that, I think that's profound. Love is not the human duty, it's a human destiny. And you actually see that in the back end of 1 Corinthians 13. Why? Because the end goal of it all is that you would actually see Jesus and talk to Jesus face to face to see him face to face. And it's actually referring to Moses, where it actually talked about Moses got to talk to God like a friend and he would actually talk to God face to face. And here's the big idea. Here's the big answer to the question, how do you become a more loving person? The way that you become a more loving person ultimately is found in growing in your understanding of how much you're loved. Do you hear that? that? That's how you become a more loving person. You grow in the understanding and the revelation of how much God actually loves you. 1 John 4 verse 19. We love because he first loved us. So the way that it all started with you when you came to faith, and if there's anyone who's not a Christian, you just need to understand that God really loves you. He's crazy about you. He's crazy about you. He loves you. And he so much wants to be close to you. And do you know what? The first thing that makes you a genuinely loving person, the way that God's made people to be genuinely loving, is when Jesus loves you and you become aware of that. Amen? And it spurs you to love him back and it spurs you to love other people. You've heard me say this before. Loved people love people. So what, what do we need to do if we're not very loving? Well, we probably just need to say sorry for that. We need to ask God to forgive us. and We need to reconnect to the one who actually loves us. Have you ever noticed when you're in conflict with someone, it doesn't feel like they love you very much? Even when they do. Has anyone noticed that? They can tell you. They can say, oh, I really love you, man. You just go, well... I'm pretty sure I did this thing the other day and you're not happy with me and you're telling me that you love me and I, that just blows my circuits and I can't understand that. So you, you need to, you know, the relational reality can kind of get in the way there to being loved. But what do we need to do is we need to reconnect to God and we need to understand 
is love for us. Now, someone once said to me ages ago, if God is love, then you could insert Jesus' name into 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. And it would work. So let's do that. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all your crappy things, (laughs) believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Who wrote 1 Corinthians? Paul did, right? He was a Christian killer, wasn't he? Paul was a Christian killer. He'd hunt them down and be part of the process of getting them killed. And he became the most profound New Testament author talking about God's love and God's grace. Amen? What changed him? Love of Jesus. Didn't it? Didn't it change him? See, God's love can change you from a killer into someone who gets killed for the sake of others. In deep, deep love. Listen to some of the things that Paul said. Romans 1, 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Philippians 4, 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. 2 Timothy 1, verse 4, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Philippians 1 verse 8, For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. This is the process, folks. Be loved by Jesus, be loving, and be used by Jesus. (laughs) I'm just boiling it all down. It took us 45 minutes to get there. But that's, that's it. Be loved by Jesus, be loving, be used by Jesus. So, what are we left with? I'll call the worship team up. And um, can you turn to uh, Ephesians 3? Ephesians 3, and go down to, uh, to verse 14. And here's the question I want you to answer at the end. What's one of the things that you do to help people to be more loving? Okay, now I'm going to read this, but I want you to, I'd like you to be able to answer it at the end. For this reason I kneel, this is verse 14, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What's one of the things you do to help someone to know God's love more? What do you do? You love them? How do you love them? What did Paul just do? He prayed. He prayed. So we're going to do that today. So we're going to sing and uh, we just want to provide the opportunity. Like if you're there and you're just going, you know what? Um, I want to grow deeper in my understanding of how God loves me. You see, in verse 19 there in Ephesians 3, it says, the love of God surpasses knowledge. So if you're sitting there today and you're going, yeah, I know, I know God loves me, I would say to you that with the authority of the Bible, I'd say, well, you just don't know it how you need to know it. And if you get a deeper revelation of how God loves you today, well, you know what? You still don't know it how you need to know it. So we're just going to keep praying for people and praying that the Spirit helps people to understand how much they're actually loved by God. Does that sound okay? So just, we're going to sing and uh, just love, for, I don't know, elders, community group leaders, I guess anyone who feels led to pray for someone who comes out the front here. Let's just all pray for each other that God would help us to grow in our understanding of his love for us. I mean, you will be stunned at the difference that will make stunned and you don't even know what that is yet you know even this week as i've been preparing this message and struggling with my own failure to love i've just been going you know what i need to say sorry for my failure to love i need to deal with all of that but i also need to be saying god would you come and just help me to help me to see more clearly how you love me because then that's going to ricochet and reflect on the other people amen are you okay so if you want, if you want, is this is like the coolest altar call. That's the coolest one because it's like if you want to know God's love more deeply, why don't you come and have someone pray for you? And if you don't want to come out the front, why don't you turn to the person next to you and ask him to pray for you? And uh, let's just see what God does. Amen. Why don't you uh, why don't you stand up and uh, let me pray and then we'll sing. God, would you, would you change us? Would you change me? By your love. Would you just work uh, your kindness and your love for us right down deep into the nooks and crannies of the darker parts in all of our lives? Would you help us to know your gentleness toward us and your patience to us? God, as we pray for people as we pray for each other today would you would you just help us today by your spirit to understand more of your love for us and God would you just um, if there's anyone here that's like me often who just thinks that yeah I get it I understand it would you just help just help us to be just a little bit humble about what we do understand about your love and to reach out to you for a deeper understanding, a deeper revelation of your love for us. 
Amen.